Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. Pickleball. Some would say it's the fastest growing sport in American history. And when I go to the court, I like to get in my routine and I play and I'm what you would call a veteran player because I've been playing for like two summers now. And I'm seeing something though on the courts because it's such a fast growing sport. We're getting new people every single week and they are annoying. They don't know all the rules. They don't know all the etiquette. They're exactly like I was two summers ago. And uh, I want to give you some pro tips on how to annoy pickleball people. Number one, you go to the court and you use a yellow indoor softball instead of an outdoor green ball, typically. That's annoying. Get that trash off my court. Who knows what I'm talking about? A few hesitant. (laughs) People don't like the judgmental spirit I'm bringing right now. They don't want to identify with what I'm saying, but it's true. When you end the game and you just walk away, no, you're supposed to tap paddles at the end. It's a sign of respect. When you announce your score, actually announce the score before you serve and do it clearly. Otherwise, we're going to be lost and we don't know what the score actually is. This is probably one of the biggest ones. It's like when you don't realize how pickup games work, you're supposed to play one game and then you go back and you put your paddle on the ground and you wait in line so a court will open. But some people, they think, oh, wow, there's 100 people here. I will just take over this court forever and I'll play two hours just by myself with my group. No, you play a game and you move on, okay? Not a lot of people resonating with me this morning. (laughs) I'm going to keep going, though. (laughs) Another one is when the ball is in play, do not walk behind the court. You think you're being sneaky, but I might have to go run after a lob, so I need my leg room so that I can get all over the court and hit the ball back. And so people are showing up every week. They don't know all the rules, and it gets a little annoying. So I've had a number of people come up to me just whispering, hey, pretty Ben, that that court's too crowded. We found another place. It's better. It's quieter. People know the rules. Come with me. We don't want to play with that. Those street, street rats, riffraff. <laughs> it's a whole new world. Come with me. <laughs> and they'll have whispers of these better courts. And so we'll go and play somewhere else. But when I, I see people on the court who are new, it's like they're confused. They're helpless. They don't know all the rules. And so our tendency is just to move on. Today, though, I want to, I want to talk about how Jesus dealt with crowds who are confused and helpless, could have used a little coaching, a little extra help. And I'm going to relate it to this new season that we're in as Kalos Church. And so I want to open up to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And the scripture says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, like when we see the pickleball 
crowds coming in, and we're annoyed with them, and we want to push them away, or we want to move on and abandon them. How do we deal with the crowds might be different with how Jesus deals with the crowds. When he saw the crowds, everybody say crowds. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, like a new pickleball player. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so unlike the judgmental people like me on the pickleball court, when Jesus sees these confused and helpless crowds, he has compassion and he wants to take action to help all these people. And we see Jesus, he's walking from village to village. He's teaching from synagogue to synagogue. And it says he's teaching, preaching, and healing. And so we see his didactic, his therapeutic, and his charismatic ministry all coming and it's working and it's impacting. It's affecting people. And when you have effective ministry like that, a crowd is going to gather. And I've noticed this, nothing gathers a crowd like a crowd. When people see something's happening, they want to see Jesus for themselves, and he's moving from town to town. And if I could just be honest, I feel like we're in a season in the Seattle region where God just isn't moving through the, the cities back in the Bible. He's moving through our region. I feel like God is on the move in Seattle, in Bellevue, these neighboring cities. We're seeing an uptick in salvations and baptisms and churches. Kalos is a great church, but we're not the church. There are a lot of amazing churches in this region that are experiencing a move of God, and I celebrate that so much. And as this happens, I feel like hearts are being transformed. People are making a decision to get baptized, being plugged into community. 81 people joining to say, hey, put me to work. I want to help in the harvest. And as we add a third service, it's like these crowds are gathering. People are looking for Jesus. They're hungry for Jesus. And I have to ask us, are we willing and able to look at the crowds like Jesus looks at them? When we think about gatherings in the church and churches getting bigger, are we suspicious of growing churches? Are we inconvenienced of big crowds? Are we annoyed by the multitudes? Or do we see them like Jesus does? You know, to be honest, as Kalos Church has grown over the last five years, we've had excitement, but we've also shared some loss. It's kind of like when you're a parent and your kids are small and they're so cute and you kind of miss the season as it passes because you know they're not going to always be this cute forever. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, I'm happy that my kids are getting older. I want them out of my life and my house and, you know, one day. But you're also like, ah, oh, I'm going to be so sad when they're gone. I miss the season I'm already in. And as Kalos Church has grown, many of us, we kind of are sensing a loss of our small, intimate church community. It's like we were lonely or we were spiritually hungry and we joined Kalos because we were uh, having a hard time making friends in the area. So we came and we thought I could find my people, my community. I could learn more about Jesus. And we joined a small group. We joined a team and we felt like we found our people. We had the sense of belonging 
But then the church grows, and we remember going from one service to two service, or maybe a service with 50 people or 38 people, but now we have hundreds of people, and we're like, it just doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as intimate. And it's like, I went to this church, and I was so thankful that people embraced me with open arms, but now that I kind of have my friends or I'm starting to get my friends, as new people come in, it's like I'm trying to embrace my friends even harder and stiff arm those who are trying to enter into my circle. Am I speaking to anybody? You're feeling the loss before it even starts. What has happened to my small church intimate community? And I resonate with that. Uh, To be honest, as a pastor, I really love the size of this church. It feels like there's enough people to have some energy, but you can still get to know people on a personal level. To be honest, preaching two services is a much easier pace than uh, preaching for three services as far as the energy expenditure. And so I, I find myself like feeling the loss of our small, intimate community, but also wanting to be the kind of church that looks and sounds like Jesus, who has compassion on the crowds. And so today, as we uh, open up Matthew 9, I just want to acknowledge that reality, but also look at the life of Jesus and see how he has responded. Because many of us have experienced it in Seattle, where we're like, uh, how many of you were not born in this region? Let's just, like, raise your hand. You were not. So most of us are not from here. And we move here, and we experience the Seattle freeze, right, where it's hard to make friends. And we're like, oh, I'm not from here. I want to make friends. And then two months later, we find some friends, and we're like, ah, I hate all the new people who are moving here. (laughs) That, my friend, is recreating the Seattle freeze. It's like, why are they all on 405 and buying Taylor Swift tickets? I hate them. (sighs) You know, you're just like, I just want to shake them off. Shake it off. (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> thank you for the laugh. For those of you who don't laugh, haters going to hate, all right? Okay, so in Matthew 9, <laughs> verse 36, how, how did Jesus respond when he saw the crowds? He didn't, he didn't use the hashtag, no new friends. He responded very differently. In Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. First thing I want to impact from this is Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And people all around us in Seattle are confused and helpless, spiritually speaking, life speaking. Some of us in this very room are confused and helpless, some more than others. Not naming any names, but some more than others are confused and helpless and I I just believe the heart of the Father sees all of us as his children, and he wants all of his children to thrive, to have belonging, to have security in Christ. Our Heavenly Father loves all of his children. And I believe that God doesn't want any of us to perish, doesn't want any of us to experience death ultimately. And I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 2, where the scripture says, This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone. Everybody say everyone. He wants everyone, not just a a select, not just a few. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And so when he sees the crowds and the multitudes, he's saying, I want them to be saved. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus, he gave his life to purchase freedom for, say it with me, 
everyone, not just a few, not just a couple chosen, but everyone, freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want, say it with me, anyone to be destroyed, but wants, say it with me, everyone to repent. So who does God want to save? He's not annoyed by the crowds. He's not put off by the crowds. He's not burdened in a bad way by the crowds. He is moved to compassion when he sees the crowds. Our Heavenly Father loves all of his children. He sees the crowds. He sees everyone who's dealt with the trauma of sexual assault. He sees everyone who says, like, you live in Bellevue. You must be rich, but you don't know how you're going to pay rent this month. He sees everyone who's dealing with food insecurity. He feels everyone who feels like they just can't have friends or make friends or that there's something deeply wrong with us that pushes away everybody. He sees you and he has compassion on you. He's not burdened by your issues. He's not burdened by your problems. In fact, he doesn't even label the crowds as a problem. He calls them a harvest, a people of opportunity, people to be loved. And that's our heavenly father who loves all of his children. But I feel like when it comes to a growing church, when it comes to reaching the lost, we're more skeptical and suspicious of growing churches than churches who have stopped reaching the lost. It's like we're suspicious. Oh, they're just doing that for their ego. They're just doing that for money. But the fact is, our Father doesn't want anybody to perish. And when anybody struggle or desperate or lonely or lost, it breaks his heart. How could we not help but follow our Heavenly Father's heart and be moved to compassion? That's our God. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever felt the relief of an invitation when you were on the outside looking in and you felt like there wasn't a place for you. You know, when our child first was diagnosed with autism, he was two years old, but five years ago, we didn't know what to do. He was losing all of his language, his eye contact. We found a daycare. They said, we specialize in early intervention for kids who have neurodivergent realities. And we thought, we're going to bring our kid here. We brought him there. We're so excited. He goes the first day, has some struggles. Second day, teacher calls us a little early, says you need to pick up your kid. We try it again. We go and bring him back. And then finally, the teacher calls us in the middle of the day as we have to cancel our work plans. And she says, hey, we, we can't handle your kid anymore. And hands us our child with his own poop in his hair, covered, doesn't even clean him up says, I can't handle your kid anymore. And we're like, what are we going to do? We're in a whole new season of life. We don't know how to raise this child. We don't have all the answers. We're so confused. We're helpless. We're lost. We needed something. And we found this organization called Jigsaw Junction online. And they, they do therapy for kids with autism. And so we called and they said, sorry, we don't have room for your kid. And the person who does the intake, she's on maternity leave. So we just, we can't facilitate your kid coming in. And Amritha, I remember her on the phone just begging, please make room for our child. 
please help us. We're confused. We're lost. We don't know what to do. And they're like, sorry, but maybe if you just could get your insurance and your diagnosis, we can make something happen. But we didn't have the official diagnosis yet. Because if you're going through this, it takes like a, six months to a year to even get into the system when you're in your moment of desperation. And so we just kept on calling. We didn't know what else to do. Just asking for help. Amritha kept on calling and calling and calling. And she said, okay, the intake lady said, all right, just if you can get your insurance next week, maybe we can make something happen. Get your diagnosis next week. We'll make something happen. We try again. We called. Sorry, we still don't have it, but please, can you make room for our kid? Please, please, please. Another week, the same situation. And finally, uh, the lady comes back from maternity process, the one in charge. They have a, a whole file system, a bunch of folders with kids who are trying to get to the school because our autism systems of support, they're so overcrowded right now. I mean, you have to fight tooth and nail just to get your kid in there. And our kid's at the bottom of the list. And we beg, please, 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 please. We don't know what to do. Help us. And they say, well, why don't we just do a tour of the building? We get in there and they, we see that our kid's at the bottom of the pile. We do this whole tour. She's holding this blue folder the whole time. We're not even in. And then it comes to the end of the tour, and we say, sorry, we don't have the official diagnosis yet. We don't have the, the insurance, but I'm telling you, he needs the support. And she hands us the folder, and she says, you know what? We're going to make room for your kid because we can see the desperation on your face. And because of her compassion, because she was moved, she took our kid from the bottom of the pile and put him to the top and says, we want to love your kid. And I just remember like having a little bit of a trauma response. And I said, you know, our kid's been kicked out of other places who said they would love him, but then he was just too much for them. Are you going to kick out our kid if he, you know, like soils himself and smears it all over the room or he gets aggressive and bites and punches or like, are you going to kick him out again? And she said, we created this organization for people like your kid. It would be our greatest honor to love him as he is right now. We're not going to kick out your kid. And I, do you know what that does to the heart of parents? Where we just felt like, how do we love this kid? How do we raise this kid? But in their organization, they made room for our child. And I believe our Heavenly Father loves all of his children. And he wants the people in our region to be gathered like sheep with a shepherd. The word in Greek for shepherd is often the same word used for pastor. And God, he wants to gather his people who don't know where to turn, find support, gain the help that they're seeking. And he wants to bring them into his house and say, you have a seat at the table and I'm not going to kick you. I want everyone to be saved. I want everyone to have relief. And as we're gathering people in these three services, I want us to not be burdened by the crowds, but to be moved with compassion for the realities, because yes, we're reaching and we're growing numbers, but these people are not numbers. They're people with stories that carry the image of our Heavenly Father. It's not about numbers. It's about people and reaching every single person in our lives. I don't want us to be more suspicious of growing churches than we are suspicious about Christians who refuse to reach out to the dying masses. So then Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 9, verse 37, 
He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Jesus is looking for workers. This is the second thing I want to share. He never calls the crowd a problem. In fact, the harvest is good to go. For those of us who long for a revival, for those of us who long for a move of God, for those of us who long to see the miracles of the scriptures come alive in our stories, for those of us who long for microphones that work, <laughs> for those of, hello, hello. Hello. can I get the green mic? Thank you. For those of us who are longing to see a move of God in our reality, in our lifetime, I just want to let you know, the harvest is ripe. The problem isn't with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers, according to Jesus. Don't judge me. I'm not exaggerating it. I'm just sharing the truth, just like Paul said. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. And a lot of us, I think we have this idea that ministry in general, and guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to ministry. But ministry in general is just like easy. You're like, Pastor, what do you do all week? Do you just like, you know, listen to Sandy Patty and Maverick City all day? And you're just like in this internal slumber of the seventh season of rest with the Holy Spirit. Is that all you're doing? <laughs> I don't know where Sandy Patty came from in that reference. <laughs> Who knows Sandy Patty here? Thank you. Yes, I see that. But ministry is work. Can I get a good amen? amen? I mean, this is why when Paul is instructing a young pastor in the ministry in 2 Timothy, he says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the, say it with me, work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Evangelism is just leading people to Jesus, sharing the good news of the gospel. Evangelism is simply continuing the conversation God has started with all of humanity so that people convert and make a decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, repenting of their past and walking in a new hope with Jesus. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. And uh, are we doing the works of evangelism, though? You know, we, we have a lot of people joining Kalo's church but when I talk to people and I ask, are you inviting people into a life with God? Are you even inviting them to church? I sense a lot of fear. I'm, a, I'm afraid of offending people. I'm afraid of not being professional at my work. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid I'm not a perfect Christian. How dare I like, try to reach others? Now, I sense a lot of fear, especially with offending people. But the fact is we're all called to the Great Commission. You know, our mission as a church is to make known the beauty of Jesus. Every church has their own, like, mission statement. But every church has the same mission, no matter how you phrase it. It's to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, teaching them everything that Jesus taught, discipling them. I mean, this is what we're all called to do if we're followers of Jesus. We're called to work. You know, the other day, uh, Amrita and I were on our date morning. We do a date morning every Friday, and we're in Pike Place. And I, I saw this guy with a sign. I want to show you this guy. And uh, I decided to take a selfie with him. He has a sign. says, ask me why you deserve to burn in hell. I don't think he heard the first point in my sermon about compassion. <laughs> but he's doing his version of evangelism. And I'm not, I'm not endorsing that style I don't probably align with him theologically or strategically. Probably don't want to hang out with him, to be honest. But as I, I'm judging him in my heart, I felt like the Spirit of God saying, well, hold on, Pradeepin. 
you may not like what he's doing. You may not agree what he's saying or believing, but at least he's out there trying to do something. And I want you to encourage the people of Kalos Church. If, if you have time to judge this guy trying to preach his version of the gospel, but you're not doing anything yourself, who are you to judge? Because you're just as wrong. You're just as wrong. Convicting. And in our a fear of offending people, I wrote it like this. If we are more afraid of offending people than abandoning people, we will turn the Great Commission into the Great Omission. And we're all called to ministry. We're all called to share our faith. But I, I, I think we're a little bit hesitant as a culture. And I, I think that means we're not submitting to God in this area of our life. Because he says go. And to be a little cheesy, you can't spell gospel without go. Can I get a better amen? And so let's break it down. If your coworkers have known you, but they don't know a more beautiful version of the gospel, whose fault is it at this point? If they've known you, but they don't know Jesus, or even know of a beautiful Jesus, at what point is it our fault? If your friends have known you for years, but they still don't know the beautiful gospel, at what point is that our fault? If your neighbors know you, but they don't know the more beautiful gospel, at what point is that our fault? I mean, Seattle is the most unchurched region, the Pacific Northwest, in all of America. But if that stat still remains 10 years from now, I dare say it's our fault. Because we're called to go and make disciples. I don't want to take that as a badge of honor. I'm not proud that we're in the most unchurched region in America. Because I see the masses like sheep without a shepherd. And our Heavenly Father wants to gather people at his table. But at some point, we need to take ownership of the Great Commission so that it doesn't remain the Great Omission. It's convicting. And so your, your job, yeah, you might be making coffee. You might be investing in real estate. Yeah, you might be a teacher. But can I say your calling is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, you might have a tech job or work in healthcare, but your vocation is lifting up the name of Jesus and help, helping bring people who are living in the shadows into his glorious and marvelous light. We're all called to ministry. And we cannot let the Great Commission become the Great Omission. I love this quote by Robert Savage. He says, it's kind of a savage comment, the command has been to go but we have stayed in body, gifts, prayer, and influence. He has asked us to be witnesses unto the most uttermost parts of the earth, but 99% of Christians have kept puttering around in the homeland. May we not be added to them, but may we boldly risk for the sake of the nations. We can rest assured that no one will have entered heaven saying, I wish I had done less for the nations. And so my prayer is that the Lord would send out laborers, workers, into the harvest. Because the harvest isn't the problem. It's the laborers. Third thing I'm seeing from Jesus in this passage is this. Jesus sometimes makes us the answer to our own prayers. So I want you to notice in 938, Jesus says, hey, the harvest is ripe, laborers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. 
ask him to send more workers into his field. So he tells the disciples, I want you to pray like this. I want you to ask God for laborers. But I want you to notice in the very next verse, chapter 10 begins, and it says in 10 verse 1, then these same people he has to pray, he begins to send. Jesus called his 12 disciples together. These are the same people he just asked to pray and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are their names. In verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. So in chapter 9, he's saying pray for workers. In chapter 10, he says get to work. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes our prayers spur us on to answer the prayers ourselves. The things that we pray for, the things that we are burdened for, we begin to see God moving in our hearts to do the things we're asking God to do for us. It's just, it's amazing. And as we moved into this building, you know, back in around the time of February, we quickly grew and our, our services were filled. And we didn't have a lot of room to begin with in this place, but they got filled really fast. And we were like, we got to launch a third service. We, we need to make room for more people. But at the same time, our team was pretty exhausted by getting into the building, making all the plans. And so we said, all right, let's do this in a more sustainable, healthy way. We'll take the summer to kind of enjoy the building and we'll pray for workers and the harvest that we believe God is bringing us. And so we prayed and we had prayer meetings and we talked about this and I just, it moved because I feel like there are people in this room who you've been praying for a harvest in the Seattle area for a long time. And I believe that here at Kalos, we're about to reap in ways we have not sowed. People's lives that have been changed pastors before us, churches before us, people who have given up and sacrificed, praying for a move of God, praying for a diverse church that can make known the beauty of Jesus. And I believe that we're beginning to see this. And I'm moved by the stories of, I've, I've had so many people come to me and say, I've never felt like I could be myself in a church until I came to Kalos. Seeing people of color, seeing people with special needs, a place that's multi-generational where I feel seen and I can belong. It's beautiful. And I believe that we're experiencing the fruit of this harvest that's happening and we began to pray for more workers and that's why to be honest I'm just deeply deeply moved that in the last four weeks we've had over 80 people sign up to volunteer with our serve team I'm deeply moved because I, I feel like we've been praying but now we're saying it, it's time to get to work and you've responded to the call and, and I believe in the kingdom of God our thoughts and prayers must always be linked with compassion and labor. They have to be mixed together, faith and action, spirit and truth, word and deed. I, I like to rhyme, and this is the way I wrote it. Prayer without work is lazy. Work without prayer is crazy. We gotta pray, but we gotta work. But as we work, we gotta pray. I might write a sequel to the song, Pray, 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 pray. <laughs> Maybe I won't. <laughs> but prayer without work is lazy, and work without prayer is crazy. Can I get a good amen? And so as we go to three services, we're going to work, and we're going to experience crowds. 
But the crowd's not the problem. They're the answer to the heart of our Father. He wants them. He longs for them. He asked for us to pray that we would be able to work this crowd for the glory of God, that strangers would become friends and friends would become spiritual family and equipped to go out and reach the lost themselves. You know, as a, a young man in middle school, high school, I had attempted to end in my life about two times. I was depressed. My mom was living out of her car at the time. Our house had just gotten foreclosed on. It was just a dark season in my life. And there was a girl, Amy Devanzo, who decided to invite me to church one time. And she didn't know the tragedy in my life. She didn't know the pain my family was going through. But she took time to invite me to church. And she was a, a beautiful girl. And she said, hey, do you want to go to church with me? And I said, I will go anywhere with you. <laughs> and I went to church. <laughs> and I gave my life to God. And now 20 years later, I'm leading a church with a beautiful girl. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> but I'm just saying, her one decision to work in the harvest changed my life forever. And when I see those 80 plus people who have signed up to work in the harvest, on a personal note, I just want to say I see Amy Devanzo in your faces. Like, it's just not people who signed up for a volunteer form. It's people who have said yes to reaching people like me. And so I just, I want to say for all of you who are working in the harvest, who feel like you've been laboring in vain, you feel like nobody's noticed your efforts or your prayers, I just want to say on behalf of a life that was changed, on behalf of someone who is confused and helpless, who is brought into the loving care of our good shepherd, thank you. It's making a difference. And this week, as we celebrate our sixth birthday next week, as we launch a third service, I just want to give you one piece of homework, an assignment, if you will. Just like when Jesus sent those disciples out after he asked them to pray. Would you just try to bring one person with you on this journey of faith? Would you just try to share a more beautiful gospel person, a more beautiful version of the gospel with one person this week? Would you just try to bring one person maybe to our service next week? We're going to share a clear presentation of the gospel. We're going to pray for people. I believe someone's life could change forever, just like mine was changed 20 plus years ago because of one invitation. Can we do that? Let's stand to our feet and pray. Oh, dear Lord, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. You said that we would receive your Holy Spirit and that would give us power to be witnesses. And Lord, I sense in this community people who don't want to be part of a great omission, but we want to be part of the great commission where you have sent us. You sent us amongst wolves to gather your sheep. You've sent us to preach and teach and heal, to cast out demons. And Lord, I, I pray for laborers, for workers in the harvest. And I pray that you would set us free to do your work. I pray that the spirit of fear that says, I don't want to offend people, and so we've chosen to abandon people. I pray that that would not exist, but you would bring boldness in this room. I pray that you bring courage and Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the crowds like you see them as your sheep that you desperately want to gather. Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to empower us to be witnesses. 
Lord, even right now, I pray that you give us names and pictures of people in our family, in our work, in our neighborhood that you've called us to reach. That we would not be content until they at least have had a chance to hear the beautiful good news of Jesus. And that they would be able to say, oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause for the good news, the saving news, the free news of God who desires that none shall perish. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.